What's up? You are listening to the Hollywood Bound Actor Podcast. This is episode number 10. Today, I am chatting it up with acting coach and actress Crystal Carson. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Hollywood Bound Actor Podcast. The number one place to be if you're an actor who wants to book starring roles in film and television. And now your host, the booking magnet, Christine Horn. Welcome back. You are in for a huge treat. Today, I am chatting it up with Crystal Carson. She's an accomplished actress and an amazing acting coach. She's the founder and creator of Auditioning by Heart, in which you'll learn all about. She used to teach at Mar- Margie Haber Studios for over 12 years, and now she, she does private coaching, on-set coaching. She has some amazing workshops coming up th- uh, throughout the end of the year, and she teaches here in here in uh, California, and I've been lucky enough to work with her one-on-one, and she's been a huge uh, blessing for me when I've had some auditions where I've needed to get to the nitty-gritty. So I want to welcome you to uh, Hollywood Bound Actor Podcast, Crystal Carson. Thank you for hanging out with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Christine, and it's always my pleasure to work with you one-on-one as well, because you are so talented. Oh, thank you. You know, I really was so, you were the first coach, you're the first coach to be on the podcast, by the way. Um, really? Yes, you are. And you were the first honored. person I thought of because you have, you have a special way of approaching the work. And, mm-hmm. and I know firsthand from working with you that it really, your approach about, and I love that you call it auditioning by heart, like acting through mm-hmm. Through, through our heart and heart, our heart center. And I'm so excited for you to share that with the audience today because, you know, I hear, you know, a lot of the actors who listen to this, are, some are brand new and green, trying to get into mm-hmm. the film team world. Some are seasoned and feeling frustrated and stuck. And some are somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle. And mm-hmm. I just think your approach will just be something that's pretty eye-opening. But before we dive into your approach, can you just give us a little background? Because I know you have a, you used to be on General Hospital. I, I mean, did. you did theater for years. You were on that I show, did. Jag. <laughs> how yes, did you I was. Start, how did you get started in, in acting? And when did you know that you, made, you wanted to make that shift into coaching other actors and helping them <laughs> their I started acting when uh, my father died when I was seven. And I had to help a lot around the house. We had, um, I was the eldest of uh, five other siblings and my mom needed a lot of help. So it was a lot of work. And one day my elementary school teacher said, would you like to be in a play? And I just heard the word play. (laughs) Like (laughs) I would like to play. So um, I was Piglet (laughs) and Winnie the Pooh. And I loved, I loved it. And it was so interesting because this teacher never gave us uh, line readings. She would talk about why Piglet and Pooh were friends and how does it feel that uh, Pooh always eats all the honey himself and you know, all this <laughs> was really interesting. And so I went and I did uh, an acting class then at the Lincoln Community Playhouse. I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, that teacher had a different approach and was very much about, and she knew we were going to put on a play for these parents that were paying for this class and gave us line readings and told us how to do it. And I started to tell her that I felt that maybe rather than tell us how to say something, couldn't we find out why the characters were saying it? And she mm-hmm. told me that if I thought I was a better teacher than her, that 
I could teach my own acting class. And I was just so touched. I was so moved that she saw that in me. I went directly to the front office and told them that Miss Nanette thinks I should be a teacher here. <laughs> and as the parents were picking up their kids, I asked them, do you want to do my class? In my class? I'm going to teach a class. And the parents were like, well, when's your class? And I said it would be at 3.30, which worked out really well because Miss Nanette didn't start the class until 4.15, so I had 45 minutes, and nobody knew what to do with their kids right after school because we got out at 3.15, and they would have to wait around for her class. So they were like, yeah, how much is it? And so the front office that was in the process probably of telling me that I couldn't do it suddenly came up with a price, and I started teaching. <laughs> I would have been, I guess I would have been 10 by that time. Oh, or 10. my gosh. Yeah, that so uh, <laughs> <laughs> only years later, when I went back to get the key to the city, Lincoln gave me the key to the city after I was on General Hospital for a while, and I raised a bunch of money for the American Cancer Society. Um, th did I learn that Miss Annette actually was not complimenting me? <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> I went, oh, that just, that re that reshifts my entire thinking of my history. Right. But anyway, um, <laughs> so that um, I always wanted to be an actress and I always wanted to find the truth in the character. And every character I ever played, I would imagine that that was a real person once and that I have to really live in these shoes because somebody else, I'm, I'm honoring a real person. I don't know why that popped into my head, um, but everything I do is like a biography. And so when I went eventually to university, went uh, to a couple of different acting schools looking for what would work for me, um, I was filled with a lot of confusion. I Maybe I'm not the brightest light in the sky, um, but I was told things like, Crystal, you're watching yourself. Well, I knew that I was looking around the room. I wasn't looking at me. So I was very literal about those comments. I'm like, what does it mean? If you don't literally mean I'm looking at my body, then what does it mean that I'm watching myself? Well, they'd say, it means that you're not listening. Okay, but I hear you. So what does it mean that I'm not listening? Because I'm, I'm listening, my ears work. Well, it means you're not in the moment. Well, what moment am I in then? Because I'm right. standing right here right now. So I found a lot of the platitudes that teachers were using, and they were cor correct, you know, they were right in what they were saying, but they weren't saying anything actionable by me. It was just a philosophy. And, and they didn't say, and here's how to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. So at one point, I decided to take a lot of um, classes in the humanities. I took classes to, to learn psychology because I thought, let me just look at this from a human standpoint and see if I can get to what it is they want from me. and. In doing that and kind of mixing the two things, I stopped using a lot of the languaging that was coming at me, and I started just talking real flat about things. Like, I'm not watching myself, but what I'm doing is I'm aware of my, uh, of my body and aware of my thoughts, and I'm being self-conscious. That's what they mean. And what I need to do to solve that, because who cares what they mean if I don't know what to do to solve it, Right. is to put my attention on the other person, but not just on like there's their physical body, but on what do I think 
their thinking about what I want from them. Am I winning or am I losing with them? Am I getting them on board with my idea or are they still fighting me? How am I, is this idea working better than that last idea? Those are all the things. And my shortcut way of thinking of it is to say, what are they thinking about me right now? And I went, ah, and there was a shift. And in that shift, I found out that a lot of the work that we were doing as far as just, you know, I was asked in college to come up with tactics and things like this. And I realized in that moment that those are all pre-shaping of, of a conversation. And in life, conversations aren't pre-shaped. Now, in life, if you have an important conversation coming up, you may think about, you may even practice in the mirror what you're going to say, you know, how to ask that guy to marry you or how to ask for a raise or how to tell your mother you're gay or whatever it is. You might rehearse it. So for me, that's what rehearsal became, like this idealized version or possible version of the way this conversation might go and what I right. might but, but do. When you're in the, but when you're in that moment, when you're present in that moment, you have to be so in tune because it might shift. Exactly. And then I make it my goal to pick up what the other person is thinking. So therefore, to pick up what they're not saying. Therefore, it isn't what I preformed. It can't be because that other character is thinking all kinds of nuanced thoughts, fleeting thoughts, you know, speeding past that I'm trying to pick up on. And as long as that's the game I'm playing, then everything I'm doing is in the moment, is listening, is not watching myself, is it solves all of those problems. Turns out, Almost every negative thing an actor can do comes down to being connected in with two things. What do I want from this person and why do I want it? Mm. And the minute only thoughts about that are going by, am I winning or losing? Am I winning or losing? I want this. Once I know, once I'm connected to what I want from them and I'm connected to why I want it, I'm connected to them. I'm connected to the story. I'm connected to my environment because I'm using it to win. So it's an exciting thing to kind of be able to simplify it because all kinds of problems drop away. Like all these little things, when you try to fix them individually, seem like separate monsters and take you down strange roads of, of bizarre acting. And when you learn that it's not any of that, that, that all of that is the same thing, that, that there is this coin and one side of the coin, of some actors come in and they barely move when I put them on tape and I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, in acting, you have to be small. Less is more. Like, what person do you know walks around going, let me be small. I'm going to be small now when I talk to this person, let me be very small. Or, or you know, too big or what's, what is that? People are like, oh, you know, when I speak, I gesture like this and I don't want to gesture like that. Why not? Well, because it's too big. And when you do gesture like that, I ask them in real life, do you think to yourself, gosh, this is too big. I'm not a human right now. No. Yeah. There's no such thing. Too big, too small. They're the opposite sides of the exact same coin. Watching, uh, you know, yourself uh, not being in the moment. They're the, they're the same coin. And this, this coin is valueless. And then the coin just called being connected 
to what I want from this person and why I want it or not. And really that whole first coin just falls into the or not side. But if we only focused on that coin, life would be a lot more simple. Don't worry about how much you blink. Don't worry about if you breathe heavily. Don't worry about all of these things. Find what the character wants and why they want it. And then be in that relationship with that intimacy, with that person you're talking to, and everything becomes appropriate. Yeah, I love, I, I, I totally love what you're saying. And you said something a bit earlier about honoring, you felt like you were honoring a real person. And when I'm talking to um, some of the newer actors that I coach and talk to and mentor, I always tell them for me personally, acting mm-hmm. feels so spiritual. I literally, it's like stepping in the shoes. It's that, it's that, you know, that, that exercise that, you know, the peel, the onion, you take that layer off Mm -hmm. of yourself Mm -hmm. and step into something new. And, and so when you say honoring a real person, that's what it puts me in the mind of like this deserves Mm -hmm. respect. And this is as far as for me in this moment, this is the only truth that I know. This is, yes, this person is my truth right now. It's I can't be outside of myself. I'm, this is who I am in this moment. You know, we talk a lot in class, too, about how to make the character's truth your own truth. And so um, it takes three days to explain it, I guess. But in a nutshell, uh, I have a technique that allows people to create memories, sort of. That that sounds a little too like it'll mess with your head. It's not that bad. But (laughs) to create memories for the character. And to experience those memories so that they are, so that they have intellectual, physical, and emotional um, baggage uh, attached to them. And then during the scene, to just give yourself permission for a trigger and permission to let that work that you did uh, come, come into your awareness. And then whatever that work does to you, it does to you. You don't try to laugh or try to cry or try to get anything. You just the amount of work that you did with that work at home, um, you, uh, you just allow it to affect you now, given the circumstances and the conversation that you're in with the other character. How does this image affect me now? And it really does help because we get sometimes lost in what is truthful acting? What does it mean? And some people think it means to say the lines naturally or as truthfully as I can. Um, but I think instead it means not worrying about how those lines are said, putting all of your attention on what you want from this other person, but having gone through at least three points of history, in other words, three points of baggage that put you in these circumstances right now, you know, why do I, why was I married to this man that I now in this conversation want to get, you know, custody of my kids, full custody of my kids. Uh, Maybe he's an alcoholic. What made me marry an alcoholic? Once I figure out what that is, and then I experience it through this exercise. Now, when I'm speaking, my thoughts are not Crystal's truth, but Crystal's truth. Would she, had she had this history? Because I didn't get divorced. I don't have this problem. I don't come from that. So I need to give myself those things. So I have the same baggage as the character. 
And now I'm standing here in this relationship asking for this. And so my values are the same as the characters. And what hurts me is the same as the characters. So now I come from the character's truth, which is filtered through Crystal. So it's Crystal's truth, too, in this moment. Mm. That's a very airy-fairy way to say what I can do in a very more practical manner if I take three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is why anybody who gets to take any of your classes, and I know you're coming at the time of this recording, for those of you yeah. who listen to this in real time, Crystal's coming to Atlanta later um, um, this year in a couple of months, and um, I'm going to put all that in the show notes, and you can just go to, I'm just since I'm on this topic, crystalcarson.com. But again, this will all be in any link that you find on the website. Um, I do want to, I want to ask you something because I hear this a lot, again, from actors who are breaking into this. And I get, this is something, and I want to know how often you get this, that they have an emotional block. They can't allow themselves to go there. And can you please just touch on that? I can think of three people right now (laughs) who are in my community who like Christine, I just, you know, one, one woman I know is a therapist and she's had to learn to build a wall for her, for her life. And so she's like, now you're telling me I have to take down that wall. And I'm like, and so we talk a lot about permission and trust and trusting back to yourself. And this is not yours. So can you talk a little bit about that, how you approach that? a little bit with this client? Well, just um, as human beings, I'm, uh, make sure I come back to this topic for me because I'm just going to uh, parallel it with something simple and then I'll come okay. back. Um, as human beings, when you first meet someone uh, and you don't know them from Adam, you don't see them as a blank slate. You meet someone and you, we automatically peg them as someone else we know. We go, oh, they're like my Uncle Joe. Oh, you're like my first teacher. Oh, you remind me of so-and-so, uh, you know, Bruce Willis. Whoever it is, we immediately peg, and, and all human beings do it that um, maybe unless they have something that's, that's different than most. <laughs> just, you know, because there's always that one brain that does something differently. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I would say all human beings do this, and the reason that we do it is it's uh, – those of us who didn't peg the Tyrannosaurus Rex as the same thing as the, oh, it reminds me of the other dinosaur I ran into, um, they got killed. So naturally, those of us who went, oh, this berry reminds me of that berry, or, or this bitter taste tastes like that poison I had before that made me really sick, we've learned um, to make things like something the minute we encounter them, and that's how we have survived this long. So now, Setting that aside, when you have something that's coming up that you know you have a personal emotional block to because it's some trauma, some piece of baggage that you live through, um, my suggestion is that you very much use Stanislavski's what if and you personalize it in, in, in um, auditions. We don't get to work with other actors. We have to um, substitute um, people from our own lives. So you substitute people that are not the people involved with your trauma and you make a what if and you allow yourself as this actor, as this character rather, so you've done the work that carries their baggage and you stand there in those shoes and then whatever comes up for you out of your own baggage 
you allow it to affect knowing that that is not what this moment is. You allow that in flashes, in spurts, however big or small those are, to affect you. You don't say, oh, that's not my character's. Instead, I would say, oh, that's a character's memory that this character has no memory of. That's something from this character's past they've blocked out. What is that? What is that? Let me, let me use as much of that as I care to bring in in this moment. And if that is none, it is none. And I let the character have the what if. But given permission to bring in none of it often will bring in more of it than reaching for it because you find yourself reaching with a predetermined idea that it isn't going to work or that it's dangerous and keeping it away from the real life thing that happened to you, not trying to substitute that, substitute that in, um, keeping it away from that makes it safe and your mind will relax into it and make it safe. That's not to say that you shouldn't do some therapy work on those things because it's really wonderful for people to be fully self-expressed in life. And the more you limit one emotion in life, the more all emotions become limited. Ooh, the brain doesn't good. seem to really separate. It's true. That's a nugget. That's a good nugget right there. It is. So you want to let yeah, yourself. I, yeah, I feel so, <laughs> it's so funny. Sometimes I'll be, not, I won't even be on set. I'll just be around the house. I can be having a conversation with someone and I always feel like there's, literally like I look at my brain like these little file cabinets and at any point there's all these different I think like you said triggers that and sometimes mm -hmm. I could just I can well up quickly or I can go to these different places in an instant and mm -hmm. it almost feels like I've just been collecting <laughs> collecting mm -hmm. things and storing them for when they're needed um and it happens I think without even being totally aware that it's happening that's right Right. That's just natural to the human brain. It's what we do. And um, to throw this out there, because it's popping up in my head that I should, and that is to let smells, images, I call them images because I'm a very image-forward person. That's what triggers me the most. But I know uh, supposedly people are triggered more by smells, um, uh, sounds, uh, kinesthetic memory, to allow... All of those things. So let's say that the character um, is afraid that, you know, in the, in the scene, they're about to be shot in the head. And some people would say, well, I don't need to do any work on that because, of course, when he lifts the gun, I'm going to be afraid. But if you're, if you grew up around guns, you're going to react differently. If you never saw a gun in your life, you're going to react differently. If you, if you've been shot somewhere else in a body part, you're going to react differently if you've never been shot or threatened to be shot. So it's not true. Again, we have to look at what's this character's value when a gun comes up? What's their point of view? And then give ourselves that history. So now I can't remember where I was going because I get so saturated. Oh, no, 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 it's okay because we were, we were talking about storing history and triggers and, and how just, I guess, storing of things and experiences and how that so, would affect yes. us in the moment. So if you don't, thank you for that. If you don't yeah. allow yourself to have that, what, whatever you work in, um, images, and it could, be, uh, it could be an image for a moment, then turns to a smell, then turns to a feeling, whatever. When you, when you do those things, you're working in your right 
hemisphere of your brain to just be very generalized to speak about it. When you don't do that, you're thinking in the left, uh, less creative, more literal, more linear part of your brain. Now, we've come to understand as far as science goes so far that our emotions, for the most part, for the vast majority of where the emotions are stored, they're stored in the right brain. So when you have an image, it lights up parts of your right brain and synapses and, and electricity and blood flow increase over there. And so as these uh, neurons attach and become synapses and they go out in many directions, they attach themselves, they connect with like a road to your emotions. So when I have an image or a smell or a sound or something that's giving me that kinesthetic memory, I have an emotional response to it. Naturally, that's what the brain just automatically does. So because those things are very close in the brain, because they're both on that same side, the, the amount of time you spend, if, I, if the gun goes to my head and I go, well, that was two, maybe two and a half seconds there. If I spend two and a half seconds and those synapses are flying the speed of electricity this, and they go back and forth and back and forth, they build, every time they go back and forth, that, that bridge, that road thickens. And pretty soon it's like a you know, two road highway and then a four road highway and then it's thick. And the beautiful thing is it not only increases the, your ability to drive to your emotions, but to all emotions. It's not just the terror of the gun, but it's also... Uh, pain and laughter and, and fear and it's every emotion because that's where they're stored. Now, let's do something different. Let's imagine that I'm worried about having the correct emotion because I'm an actor and the gun goes off and I'm worried that I might think about my own past trauma that I really have with this that I've blocked out. And I'm thinking thoughts about that. That lives in the left brain. So as those synapses uh, grow and the electricity goes flying and the blood flow increases, it takes much more time for those uh, fingers, those branches, to reach out, cross that barrier uh, of the two lobes, and then finally get to an emotional center. So if I spend two and a half seconds, I may barely have an emotional reaction. But it's because I wasn't allowing myself to fully go into the image of it. I was thinking considerations and thoughts that have nothing to do with the character, but have to do with myself and my desire to cry right now or to react appropriately right now or to not overreact right now or to be less as big or small and, and right. not, you know, blah, 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 watch myself. All of those things keep us. And it's so simple. So it's kind of like meditation. You have this monkey mind that's going crazy thinking about everything. <laughs> right. And the idea, right? And the idea of meditation is not to... I was so happy today I learned this, not to stop the monkey mind, but to notice and bring it to what you want to focus on. And then notice, oh, I'm back in monkey mind. Okay, I decided I'm going to focus on my breath. Oh, and my breath. Oh, there it goes again. And my breath. And there it is again. Breath. It's not that I stay on my breath for a minute. Turns out the real muscle is in not beating myself up for it not being on my breath and being in the monkey mind to let that go and let that be a part of what it is to meditate and an okay part because I can't bring it because the, the real muscle I'm building is bringing it back. I can't bring it back if it doesn't go away. 
So good, it went away. Fine. No problem. Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Same with your acting. Uh, meditation is such a beautiful skill for learning how to be a great actor because a great actor's job is to go, oh, that was a crystal consideration because I want to be a good actor and I want everyone to like me in this role. And I'm back to the character's thought. And I'm back to the character's thought. And there it goes again. And I'm back to the character's thought. The faster and stronger that muscle becomes, the less the less worry uh, will manage to get in and the more natural reactions to whatever it is, those emotions that they're worried that they've blocked will just bubble up and they'll bubble up safely. Yeah. Safely is a, is a key word. And it's such, I believe once you start creating and finding your flow in this, it can come quicker. I tell actors all the time, like, you know, I have a flow and it doesn't matter if I have 10 minutes or 10 days to prep for this role. It's, right. it's my, it's my flow. And I think the right. more you said you work that muscle, you'll find your way. Everybody has their own way, you know, right. and you'll find that and that will flow with you. Um, before we go, I do, um, this has been so juicy. <laughs> I just, mm -hmm. I just love this. Um, you coach actors on set and yeah. For those who, for actors who have never experienced that, I know I personally have not experienced this set coach. I've seen them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're used to dialect coaches. Are you usually um, invited there by the production or did, does a specific actor bring you on personally? Like, how does that work? Just out mm -hmm. of personal curiosity. It's, uh, there's not something so standardized. If I'm there as a dialect coach, it's production that brings me there, but I have been brought on as an acting coach um, for a specific character by Fox Television, for example, and then Fox, in watching me work with her, said, hey, would you, you know, is it okay if the other actors come to you if they're, if, if they're whole, like if it's their episode, like if they have a lot to do on this episode, I'm like, it's okay if they come to me anytime. And so then I end up working with everybody, which is a lot of fun. Um, but I've also been brought on um, to different sets by actors. And I've been brought on uh, with the actor going to production and saying, this is what I want to do. Does it work with you guys? And then be very open and cordial to my being there. And I've been brought on by actors who go, I don't want anybody to know that I'm using you. I feel like it's a crutch. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to stay in my trailer and act like you're my sister. So right. it's, <laughs> it's all over the place. I mean, I have literally been given a chair and a monitor at TV village uh, to the point where, uh, you know, I'm, I was practically the, um, working with the director, the director would say, uh, you guys pick up the pace. And then I would write behind him, go, the doctor's going to be here any second. If you don't tell this to your mother now, you may never see it. You never have the chance again and walking away. You know, so I was like, I love reframing whatever the director was saying and working really well, you know, so that is a lot of fun when it works like that uh, to, to the other side, which is, I'm hidden in a room and not allowed to come out of it. Right. <laughs> I love that. I think I, I appreciate you sharing that because I've wondered, I've been on set and I've seen some and, but I always wondered how that worked. And, and if I'm right. a you know, number one or number two on the call sheet, I have a ton of responsibility. Right. You know, can, is that an option for me to just bring my own person? Like I just, because you have, you know, two week turnarounds back to back to right. back to create these beautiful characters and a, and wanting to do a really good job <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. 
And it, yeah. it just, it is a negotiation and it usually is one or two on the call sheet that's, that's doing that if they're bringing production into it. Otherwise it's usually, you know, if it's a smaller role, it's usually people doing it on their own. I'm working right now with an actress and we're I'm working with the production uh, so that in March of next year, I'll be on set for her and they'll be paying me. And, you know, so it's a negotiation. So we'll see yeah. if they'll pay my whole fee or if she has to pay half of it or what will work out. So it's, we don't have a union coaches where, you know, and we don't really fall under SAG or after, or, yeah. so it's a problem. Um, it's a, it's a constant, like take care of yourself and fight for what you can get and be there for the actor, fight for what the actor needs. But the yeah. set wants, you know, the actress to be great and comfortable too. So it usually is really a wonderful situation. Mm. That excites me. I'm putting that in my in my little Rolodex, my little file cabinet for the future. Uh, Can I bring something else up really quick? Um, yes. I feel like it's so important for actors to sort of be in this lovely headspace that you're in to find for themselves why they want to be actors. And I get that a lot of it has to do with us. You know, it feels good to be an actor. I love to be in community. I, I like them pay that I want to be famous. I like the swag. I like, I like being characters. I like this experience and all, you know, it's, it's wonderful stuff for us. But I find that if what actors are into is wonderful stuff for themselves and then they have an audition and it's going to be a pain in the butt to get off work and it's going to be a pain to get somebody to whatever, drive you or you got to go buy new clothes and you got to get there at a certain time and you got to change your schedule all around and you got to learn all this stuff tonight because it's in the morning. That's no fun. And then at the same time, you may have been invited to a birthday party that night and Hey, that would be really fun. And you'll be in community with a bunch of probably other actors because that's who we hang out with uh, right. people and there'll be good food there and it'll be a blast. And uh, you know, I might get some swag out of it. I might feel important because everybody will talk to me. And, you know, you kind of get out of it what you're, this community, this fun, you know, you might even, well, I was going to say you might even put on different characters because people tend to be different with whoever they're with. Uh, you know, so there's sort of that same yumminess that being an actor brings if if what you're after is a good time yourself. So I like it when people find the spirituality in it in a certain way. Those are your words. But when they find something bigger than themselves, because I feel like actors have the most important job on the planet right now. And maybe they have had for uh, a certain amount of time and that they haven't even realized because the closer we become to be very grounded and very human and very real and we own these things and we react with our human instrument if we had had these uh, different, uh, if we'd had this different past, I'm filtering it through this human instrument right now in this story. The more we do that, and we haven't always done that. I mean, uh, acting has definitely changed uh, since the Greeks did it. And it's always changed in response to what sells. And what sells is what humanity needs. And that is why we are all about communication and and feelings and emotions because what humanity needs desperately needs right now is that sense of connection that sense of love that sense that i am you and you are me and we are one and we're not fighting each other we're in this together we don't have that community we don't grow up in nuclear families much less you know extended families or tribes we grow up very distant from from our blood and we and 
we talk to our friends in text easily as much as we talk to them in, on the phone or in life. And, and what's the phone? Again, in life, where human beings get 98% of the information that they take in and take to heart visually, but we're not looking at each other. But what do we look at? We look at film. We look at television. We sit there. We'll binge watch for hours. hours. <laughs> so, we, so we as actors have a responsibility to not phone it in, to not pre-shape how it should go or what it should be, because that's better than what a human being can do. That's too perfect. You've worked it all out, and then it goes the right way, and you go, oh, yeah, I nailed that scene. No, you didn't. You just let everybody down because we as human beings can't nail that scene. We can't nail life. We can't nail that conversation. We're always struggling in, in really heightened, uh, important conversations. We're struggling to win, to, to find out what can I say? What can I do? How can I bring you so that I can win whatever it is I need? And so we spend a lot of time in silence. But actors who have pre-shaped and pre-memorized, they got their lines ready to go, ready to go. And they always say the right thing and they say it perfectly. That isn't human. I, I don't know a perfect person. I know a lot of imperfect humans. And I think that's what makes us so perfect is we are, we're, we're imperfect. We're imperfect and we are, we're in it together. And without each other, without that connection, we really, we really can't make it. And I feel like when you realize that if you play a role, even if it's on a Hallmark commercial or, you know, a crazy show like Glee, look at Glee. That's like a character, you know, like a, like a caricature. It's like a comic book. And yet those actors get letters from so many people saying, you know, just as one example, I saw you come out to your father as gay on the show. And I was about to take a bunch of pills and kill myself because I'm afraid to come out to my father. I'm afraid for what it'll mean. But when you did that, I saw that you connected to the truth of it. I saw the guilt for being gay. I saw the fear of your dad. I saw the love and the desire for his understanding. And I knew in that moment that I was seen, that some writer understood this enough to write it, that some actor understood it enough to get it, that some producer thought it valuable enough to put it on their show and think that people will tune in and keep watching. There must be other people out there struggling like this or it wouldn't be there and suddenly I'm not alone. And I put the pills down and I put the razor down and I put the gun down. I mean, they get letters every day yeah. and, and that's just a silly show. So imagine, and this is what we can do for each other. I mean, there's a guy somewhere strapping bombs on about to walk into uh, a very populated area to blow up these ugly Westerners. But those same people get cable, you know, they get, yeah. they get the internet. They're watching, they're watching our television. They're watching our films. Yeah. And it's when the they. The responsibility. Yes. For sure. yeah. To let that humanity out. Because if, if I'm sitting there and I believe that the ugly American is not human, is the devil but I start to step into their shoes as we do when we watch a show. I start to feel them. I start to be them. I go, that's me. Now I'm going to have a hard time blowing up somebody. Now I'm going to have a hard time picking up a gun and walking into a school and shooting people. 
it's that disconnect that has me do that. Why have, why school shootings suddenly? There hasn't been school shootings since there was guns. No. Look at how disconnected we are. Actors, we have a responsibility to not be perfect, to not worry about how we are coming across as actors, whether we're good, whether anybody likes us, but to be do the work at home to discover who this character is and let the character live and struggle and think and be and feel. And mm-hmm. so there's going to be silences. Yeah. Ooh, this is juicy, y'all. And if you <laughs> are enjoying it, no, seriously, this is, why, this is why I invited you on this podcast because it's just that you, even just hearing you just recenters me and, and oh. it, it just reminds me of the excitement. I mean, I just, I love what I do. Love, love, love it that I get to play and, and explore. And yeah. I think the through line for everything you've talked about today is, you know, asking better questions, asking questions, stay curious, stay in a wanting space. And what gets revealed will blow your mind. And I do have to go in a second, but I want, before we go, I want to make sure that our listeners know how they can find you. I know I talked about your website, crystalcarson.com, but you have a huge, amazing workshop, some workshops coming up toward the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Can you talk quickly about, um, you're coming to Atlanta, Georgia, it looks like in November. I'm just wrapping up LA now and I'll be, yes, November 15th, I do a beautiful class, one day class called Reacting by Heart. It's an exercise that, it was really uh, mind-blowing and does have you experience what it feels like to be in the moment, listen, all those things. Um, and people, when I tell them what the exercise is, they think it's one thing. And when they watch someone do it, they think, oh, oh, it's not what I thought. It's another thing. And then when they do it, they go, okay, it is neither of those things. It's completely right. different. So I can't even explain it. You have to experience it. And after that, I have November 16th through the 18th, I'll be doing my three-day class and it is set up like a new audition every day and I have the first thing we do is put you on tape and then I go through and break down the audition and then we play back the tapes and I break down moment by picky little moment um, where you have strong moments and where they were weak and what we could do to make those stronger why your choice did work even though it was such an outlandish choice or why it didn't work and what given your ideas what choice would have worked. Nice. Then when we get done with that, we, uh, I talk a little bit more about um, techniques and we change genres every day. So the first day may be drama and the second day may be rom-com and the next day may be procedural, something like that. And so every day you apply what you learned the day before to a whole new script. It's not about getting that audition right. It's about understanding how to approach material so that you can approach any material by yourself in a very profound way. And we do a lot of work on how to quickly know what to say, meaning how to memorize your lines, but we never memorize lines. We just know how to, what there is to say by heart. And it, it comes to you in a, in a really um, clear and incredible way. And people um, tell me on the first day that it won't work. And then by the last day, they're always so surprised that it did. <laughs> No, your your workshops are amazing. Before I moved back to Los Angeles, I've been back since 2017. But years ago, because I've been with um, my agent in Atlanta, Houghton Town for 20 years, and I remember you, um, it was so long ago, but you taught a class, a workshop. I think it was like, I went to like a one-day thing with you, and 
that's mm-hmm. how I even found out about you. And I just was like so excited when I moved back to LA, like, oh, I can coach with Crystal. And it turns out we live yeah. down the street from each other, which is cool. I know. <laughs> so amazing. So amazing. Um, so I'm going to also be brought back. I should say, I just, um, House of Artists is in Atlanta, and they're going to bring me back the end of November, the 30th through December 2nd. So I'll be there then too. Yeah. And for those of you listening, I will put this link. She has a special link on her website um, that has all these dates, all the registration links and more information, testimonials, all that juicy, good stuff. Um, if yeah. you are able, do yourself a treat. You're worth it in this investment. And um, Crystal, thank you so much for Sorry sharing. to talk so much. No, 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 please. No, no, no. This is amazing. Um yeah, this has been a treat, and this is why I wanted you to be the first coach I got to bring on here because I really, your work, the work that I've done with you has been so special for me, and I wanted my audience to get a little piece of it too. So, yay! Awesome. Thank you so well, much. Thank for you so- for doing it. All right, good luck to you, and nice meeting all of you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Hollywood Bound. Actor podcast at hollywoodboundactor.com.